0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I've got a fun and exciting uh, book to talk about, a wonderful author, all kinds of great illustrations. Uh, Of course, the uh, author is uh, Karen B. Winnick, and we're going to talk to her about her book, Can You Spot the Leopard? And uh, it's a wonderful uh, children, young adult type book with all kinds of great uh, graphics and paintings and illustrations done by Karen. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about the book itself. And then we're also going to talk about writing. Because how do you put together a great book like this and and get it uh, where it's uh, presentable to the public, as we say. So uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great show today. So everybody uh, hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Uh, Joining me now is author and illustrator Karen B. Winnick. And Karen's also the uh, president of the uh, Los Angeles Zoo Commission. Uh, She's an author of more than a dozen uh, picture books. And uh, we're excited to have her on the show today and talk to her about her latest book, Can You Spot the Leopard? Karen, welcome to Animal Rights.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and being able to talk to you. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. So uh, a wonderful illustration book, and I was highlighting the fact that it's for young adults or, or children to young adults as I look at it. But the whole premise of the book, tell us a little bit about the premise of the book and how you came to create it.
2: So I went, well, I've been involved with the LA Zoo. I've been president of this commission, which is an oversight commission. And I just love animals so much. And I know that a lot of people don't like zoos, but zoos got me started in loving all kinds of animals. And I went to a lecture and somebody said to me, it was a woman who studies elephants in Ambassali. Her name is Cynthia Moss. And when she got up to speak, she mesmerized me. And somebody said to me, Karen, if you love elephants this much, you need to go to Africa. So I planned a trip and it turned out to be four moms and four kids. <laughs> and it was the best trip of my life. I've been back a few times since. But at the time, my background was in art. And I lived on the East Coast at one time, but when I moved to California, an editor told me to look up a woman and she was teaching writing at UCLA. And I embarked on close to 14 years of writing classes on and off, seven of poetry. And at the time I was taking a poetry class with somebody named Myra Cohn-Livingston, who's written many, many books, children's poetry with many subjects. In fact, she's published her students work in some of her anthologies. So because I was taking poetry, when I was on the safari, which was a wonderment to me, I took notes. I took notes on what I saw, and I took notes on what the guide said. And when I got home, I started to shape those notes into poems. And there's an exercise that my teacher used to do with her classes, where she had everybody pick An object and to write down the concrete things about it. Was it hard? Was it soft? Was it black and white or in color? And all the things to describe it large, small. And then on the other side of the paper, to write what it made you think of, what it reminded you of, what you felt. And so much of poetry is based on observation. So if you combine those two things, it helps you to shape a poem. And so I thought about what I saw and I thought of things that it reminded me of. But what I loved is that I got to see animals in their natural habitat. And sometimes it was hard when I saw the cheetah hunting. You know, I had to close my eyes when it sprung for the gazelle. You know, who do you feel sorry for? The cat that's going hungry or the gazelle that possibly is going to lose its life. But I shaped the poems, but over a long period of time, and I have book projects all over the place, book dummies, which is part of the process. And I felt that this project, the writing was pretty close to where it should be. It never quite is until it's actually published.
0: <laughs> and then it never it still isn't, it still well, is, still find something you want to tweak.
2: <laughs> it's true. I think there's one book that I've had published where there's one word I possibly would take out, but I don't scrutinize the writing in the same way I do Before it's ever submitted, I mean, every word. And just as an aside, um, Mem Fox, a very well-known author in Australia, said that writing a picture book is like writing War and Peace in haiku. Every word counts. So I decided to actually do the art. I did paintings and put the project together. And when I worked with an editor, there was still switching two lines gave it more punch. I mean, it's wonderful to get an educated criticism input because it can always make the project even better. And so that's how it came together. But I I felt strongly that I wanted to give kids the experience of a safari because very few children get to go to Africa and children live in a world of wonderment to the world around them. And this was so special to me. I wanted to express it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think he did a marvelous job of it, you know, and several things as you're, you're talking there, just came to mind, right? You know, first of all, we're uh, at least I am i uh, I'm a proponent of zoos. I have nothing wrong with zoos as long as they're done the right way. And the animals are, are well taken care of, you know, Jack Hanna is a longtime uh, friend of the show friend, of, a friend of mine. And you may, may know Jack from the. Uh, uh, I
2: met him. Yes. Yeah. And, and also I knew Betty White well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And. We were on this commission together, the Oversight Commission. But not only that, we went to the same hairdresser. (laughs) And I love this woman so much because what you saw on shows and everything was exactly who she was. She lit up a room. But she always used to say they want the animals to be in their habitat, but the habitat is shrinking. And so many issues are because animals don't have habitat." because people have been encroaching on their spaces so exactly zoos that are part of the American Zoo Association or the world Zoo Association they have standards to meet and those animals are well taken care of it's the roadside places that are an issue really
0: right right and to your point you know what you've done here in the books is a tremendous job in many ways but one that you just highlighted that sort of coincides with uh, what the programs are at the, uh, at the zoos, uh, Los Angeles Zoo uh, in particular, is the fact that young kids in particular, inner city kids, may not ever have an opportunity. So let alone going on a safari, uh, which is on my bucket list. I haven't even gotten to that yet, but uh, that's on the bucket list. But the zoo that's where the zoo comes into play because this is their opportunity to be able to go somewhere, see the animals, learn about the animals, learn about uh, the challenges that they go through, why the animals are at the uh, the location. So I think they're a big part of helping the animals out and helping people become more educated and, and entertained as well. And that's what you've accomplished here with uh, the book, Can You Spot the Leopard? You know, I love the fact that, you know, you took your opportunity, one of the opportunities to, to be on an African safari to see this experience, etc. But you wrote the poems and you did the uh, painting work. You know, it's more than just, I know it's, it may be labeled as illustrations, but the, I label it a lot more than that because these are just uh, fine artworks of what you're seeing. You know, I could i could feel what you were seeing, you're putting into the art as well as into the poems.
2: I don't think I'm really an illustrator. I think I'm a painter. Um, I majored in design when I was an art student because I had to earn a living and I worked as a graphic designer, but I also studied painting. I started a master's in painting. And so really, even my other books, I, I did a few historical books and I tried to emulate the style of the 1800s when I painted. And at that time, I worked in oils. I don't like to work with all the chemicals anymore, the demora varnish and turpentine. And so I worked with acrylics, which are water-based, and gouache, which are opaque watercolors. And they've improved so much over the years, especially the acrylics, that I was able to get the same techniques that I used with oils. I'm too heavy-handed at this point for watercolor, plain watercolor, because with oils, you build up layers and I love textures, but this, this was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do it, to paint something that you really care about.
0: Absolutely. And each one of them, another thing I love about the books, the fact that, okay, you know, the highlight of the book, can you spot the leopard? Okay. A lot of books that they sort of label as young adult slash youth type books uh, for uh, for children, they follow a storyline. You know, they have some illustrations inside there and you're usually following, you know, if I were to look at this, I'd say, okay, it's the leopard. We're going to follow the leopard from beginning to end, Uh, but it's more than that. So we get to see zebras and ostriches and, and elephants, as you said, you know, you get a real introduction to what these different uh, animals are doing and and sort of relate to them uh, from both the painting part of it, as well as your uh, wonderful poems that go adjacent with it.
2: Thank you. One of my sons went with me on the safari, and I went through this with him. Actually, two of my sons went, but I was going through the book after it came out with my son, and I said, do you remember this? Do you remember that? There's one poem about a young wildebeest that can't find its mother. And we were so upset. We were so upset. And when we arrived in Africa, it was evening and we went on an evening safari and we parked under a tree and we, none of us had ever been to Africa before. Well, there were two lions in the tree. Oh and we were so scared. We <laughs> all ducked at the bottom of the jeep.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to ask you then on the safaris, uh, the people that host the safaris or the people that just live in that area, how do they view the lions? And I'm not talking about necessarily from uh, a profit standpoint, land versus animal. But uh, for instance, uh, when I visited Alaska, you know, you could tell who the tourists were, not only because of the, the garb and the fanny packs and whatever else we were carrying, oh. but it was more the fact that when we saw a bald eagle sitting right there in front of us, we were in awe where the locals treat them like it was a common crow, <laughs> uh, which I'm always fascinated with crows as well. But how does that compare? Did you get a feeling for the awe that you were experiencing having limited, you know, never seen lions hanging out in a tree outside your place compared to what the locals were thinking of it all?
2: Well, in East Africa, and I didn't specify because I wanted to be specific to the animals, and, and they would be in a few countries in East Africa. It was where I was was mostly the Maasai, and a lot of uh, animal wildlife organizations try and uh, work with the local people, and and this is across the board with a lot of these organizations. They've learned. That they have to collaborate with the local people to save the animals in the habitat. So I don't think the Maasai are particularly in awe of the animals. I mean, but they they used to hunt elephants, and there's one poem in here where the elephants, uh, the elephant is getting angry. He's about ready to charge, and he doesn't. And that happened because the Maasai used to hunt them, and the elephants sense the Maasai. And are wary of them because of that. So I don't think it's all, But yet in South Africa, for example, they brought in, there's a program where they brought in horses for the rangers to protect the rhinos. And the school children, the, the young children there love the horses. They take care of, they help take care of them and everything, but they haven't even seen a rhino. They've never seen one. So the habitat is shrinking and trying to get the local people to care is is also a goal to see them as something special because they have to uh, feed their families and everything.
0: It's a balance and that's what they uh, hopefully are trying to accomplish, which I think is a uh, big kudos for those that actually in the governments there, especially that, that take the opportunity to be able to work together to get a good balance.
2: So many organizations have partnered with local people and government to preserve the animals in the habitat. And so there's a lot of good work being done.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and talk to uh, author and illustrator Karen B. Winnick about her book, Uh, Can You Spot the Leopard? An African Safari. I want to talk to you, uh, you, Karen, about uh, your writing and writing the other books and how this one compares as well. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit Stay, we'll be right back after a short pause, well, four to be exact.
1: For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy, and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers.
0: Let's Talk
1: Pets. Let's
0: Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continuing our conversation with author and illustrator uh, Karen B. Winnick. And her uh, latest book, Can You Spot the Leopard? Now, Karen, in this particular book, we talked a little bit about you've got your wonderful poems. You've got your wonderful paintings. And you're putting together the book. First of all, how did it come up? Which part? Is it the chicken or the egg? Did the poems come first and then you had the paintings to match up with it? Did you have the paintings first, then the poems? Or did they sort of just go hand in hand as you went along?
2: Okay, so different author, illustrators work in different ways. The first book that I ever did, I drew pictures and wrote. It was called Patch in the Strings about a puppet who's trying to find out who pulls the strings. So I was doing a lot of art and writing underneath. I started taking writing classes and then I wrote and wrote and wrote. And I got, one of the things I love to do, I love to use my books as a platform to speak to kids. And I go to schools and even during the quarantine, I did Zoom presentations. And I like to show them that what I do is I write stories and I draw pictures because that's just what they do. So I like to demystify the process. So I bring in all my paraphernalia. And the way I work is I have to get the story to a point where I think it's right. And after I do it, I take eight pieces of paper and I fold them in half because a picture book is most often 32 pages. This book is 48 and some books are 40. And the reason it's 32 pages is it's printed on two pieces of paper, eight pieces on each side. If it's 40, it's a whole other sheet. 48, it's printed on both sides of that third sheet. I cut my words apart and I glue them or tape them over the 32 pages to see if the story is too long, if it fits. If I turn the page, do I get a surprise or I change the scene? And then I start drawing. And I start drawing with a pencil, a soft pencil, and I draw on tracing paper. So I could not only erase, but I can take another sheet of paper and correct things and be more specific about uh, what I want in the drawing. And then I Xerox those and I make a book dummy. And the book dummy are my pencil sketches, Xerox of them, and my words pasted down. And that's usually what I submit for consideration. And I have boxes all over, which is organized chaos because all my research is in the box, my book dummies. And I haven't really done finished art until I've sold the book. But in this case, I just worked, especially during the quarantine, I had started. The paintings took me about two years, but I did more than one painting for some of the poems, and I just had a lot more time to work because life had slowed down. And so the poems did come first. The poems were changed somewhat. For example, the warthogs, I drew five, uh, four warthogs, and then I realized my poem had more. So, you know, I played back and forth. Uh, one time I interviewed at the L.A. Public Library, Lawrence de Brunhoff, who did the Babar books. His father had started it. And he drew pictures and then wrote underneath them. So authors and artists work different ways. And also these really are paintings. They're not necessarily illustrating exactly what's in the poem. I wanted to show what the wildlife was like. In its habitat. And, um, and some of them are more illustrative than others, but they really are paintings. And some of my other books have had to be, um, they were you know, more, there was more pacing because one page had to lead into another page. Right. Well, I think that's a fascinating
0: process. So learning through uh, when you first started putting together books, we'll say writing in your uh, wonderful paintings compared to where you're at now and especially after taking uh, you know so many classes uh, in writing, how do you compare the two? Were you very similar from the beginning on how you like to sort of storyboard it or how you like to break things down and set them up or was it a part of the learning process that you took from uh, taking all the classes? And because uh, obviously, as you go through the years, you'd like to think as, a, as an author or even a uh, painter that you get better <laughs> over the years. Yes, yes. But how did how does that compare uh, from doing it from say the first one uh, to where you're at today?
2: So, in terms of imagination, doing children's books has given me the gift of keeping the child alive within me, and so I look at the world with curiosity and long time ago that curiosity employed me to come up with ideas and i always had a strong imagination and it's no different today i see ideas so much because i just like to pay attention to the world around me i have five dogs <laughs> i take two walks every afternoon because I can't walk five dogs. (laughs) I'd be fired if I were ever a dog walker. (laughs) But I don't take my phone. I see the monarchs. I do have to watch out for lizards in case my dogs lurch at them or hummingbirds or the shadows. And it keeps me alive to everything around me. So that hasn't changed. And, And truthfully, I consider that A blessing with a lot of gratitude that I can still look at the world that way. But having skills through the writing classes, like poetry, the tools of poetry you use in picture books, alliteration, repetition, rhythm. And so that has helped improve my writing. When I first got started, I would write something and I said, well, maybe it sounds better this way, or maybe it sounds better this way. But now that comes more easily to me. When I go to schools, I always ask kids how many play sports and they all raise their hand and I go, what do you have to do to be good? And they go practice. They all shout it out. But I tell them writing, doing art, all these things, if you want to get better at them, you keep doing them and you do get better. And if you have bumps, stick with it and you can get over those bumps most often. And I say that people, artists, writers, musicians look at the world around them and they have feelings about what they see and hear and they express it through their writing, through their art, through their music. And I love to explain that to kids, to have them pay attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember uh, talking to various um, uh, classes also over the years and uh, different age groups of uh, of kids Trying to get through to them and, and trying to actually, you know, uh, show them the benefits of uh, being a writer uh, to get your message out there, uh, reading books, these type of things. And I always one of the things I always tried to do was I, I would ask who here is a writer. And the kids that, you know, have write, written stories or have, uh, you know, uh, written for the local newspaper or online or something, you know, they'd raise their hands, but it'd be a very small amount. And then I would just continue to milk it from there and until you know, how many of you written in journals? How many have you written in blogs? How many of you text? You know, get down to the very minute factor. The text is not officially writing. It is putting your message out there. And so by the time my goal was, by the time it was all said and done, to get every hand raised to let them know that they are writers and there's an inner writer within them. So great. Would, yeah. How do you want to explore it from there?
2: And even if they're going to be lawyers or doctors or whatever they're going to be, their writing skills help them to communicate.
0: Absolutely. Uh, except for most doctors, you can't read their scribes. So right. it's- <laughs>
2: well, you know, it's funny when you write picture books, what's important are strong verbs. When you're a doctor, what's important are adjectives.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. All right. So, Karen, when people pick up a copy of the book, Can You Spot the Leopard, an African Safari, which everybody's going to love? What do you hope they gain from it, Or one walk away, or several uh, pieces you hope they get out of it?
2: Well, for children, I really hope that they can learn respect and compassion for animals because they're the ones that are going to grow up and continue the efforts to save them and preserve them. So, That to me is my deeper goal with this book. It really is. And from the lighter level, I want them to experience the safari, but I want them to care about the animals. Years ago, somebody gave me something called a word a day, and there are all these words I've never heard of, and they're fascinating. But there was one that stuck with me. It was from Sanskrit. It was ahimsa. Sure. It's kindness and respect for all living things. Absolutely. That, that's what I hope that children will become interested in them.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love, the, I love the Sanskrit. I love that word. I do work here in the greater Atlanta area with a group called Ahimsa House. It's oh. for uh, individuals, families that have uh, experienced domestic violence, but also have animals. And so they need a place to get back on track again and a place to be able to take care of their animals. And that's what Ahimsa House is all about. And
2: It's uh, it, wonderful.
0: Yeah, I love that.
2: And you know what? But there are programs, um, and North Shore Animal Rescue out of Long Island, they have a program that they offer primary and secondary schools to teach children compassion for animals and humans, because it spills over that how we treat others, all kinds of others.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I love that. All right, so everybody go pick up a copy of the book from uh, Karen B. Winnick. It's Can You Spot the Leopard? An African Safari. You're going to love it. Going to love the paintings inside of it. Karen, big kudos for you uh, for doing all that you do and also putting out another uh, wonderful book.
2: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Well, we're going to uh, come to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. want to thank the uh, producers and sponsors for putting the show together and making this all possible. So if you have any ideas, comments, questions, or people you want to listen on the show, drop us a line at PetLifeRadio.com. And while you're there, check out the uh, other hosts and other shows. It's a cornucopia of great entertainment all geared towards animals, so you're going to love it. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on PetLife Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.